Chapter 3 I froze. For a tightly packed string of heartbeats, I couldn't stir a muscle. In part, of course, this was due to simple shock, but there was a lot more to it than that. A cold weight pressed like a headstone on my chest, but my limbs felt entombed in mud. An, an icy torpor crept through my the roots of my brain. My mind was dumbed. The workings of my body dulled. I felt I should never have the strength to move again. A mood stole over me that might have been despair, had I had the energy to truly care about it one way or the other. Nothing mattered, least of all me. Silence and stillness and utter paralysis of movement were all I could aspire to, all that I deserved. In other words, I was experiencing... I was experiencing ghost lock, which is the effect type twos have when they choose to direct their power on you. An ordinary person might have stood there helpless and let the visitor work its will upon her. But I'm an agent, and I'd, I'd dealt with this before. So I rested savage, painful breaths from the frigid air. Shook the mist clear of my brain, I forced myself to live, and, hands, and my hands moved slowly towards the weapon on my belt. The girls stood halfway across the floor of the study bedroom, directly ahead of me. I could see her framed by the open door. She was fairly faint, but I saw she stood barefoot in the rolled-up mug, or more, or more precisely, in it, for her anchor, ankles were sunk into the fabric as if she were paddling in the sea. She wore a pretty summer print dress, knee-length, decorated with large, rather garish, orange sunflowers. It was not a modern design. The dress and her limbs and her long, fair hair all shone with dim, pale other light, as if, it, as if lit by something far away. As for her face, her face was a solid wedge of, solid wedge of darkness. No light reached it at all. It was hard to tell, but I guess she'd been eighteen or so. Older than me, but not by too many years. I stood there for a time, wondering about this, with my eyes locked on a face on the face, faceless girl, and my hands inching to my belt. Then I remembered I was not alone in the house. Lockwood, I called. Oh, Lockwood! I said it as lightly as I could. Showing signs of fear is best avoided when visitors are concerned. When visitors, when visitors are concerned, fear, anger, and other strong emotions. They feed on it too easily. It makes them faster and more aggressive. No answer came, so I cleared my throat and tried again. Oh, Lockwood! I was using a merry sing-song intonation here, as if I were speaking to a little babe or cuddly pet or something as I might as well have been. In fact, because he didn't bloody respond, I turned my head and called a little louder. Oh, Lockwood, please come here. His voice sounded muffled, black along the landing. Hold on, Luce, I've got something. Jolly good, so have I. When I looked back, the girl was closer, almost out onto the landing. The face was still in shadow, but the drifts of the uh, of other light that spun about her body shone brighter than before. Her bony wrists were tight against her side, the fingers bent like fish hooks. Her bare legs were fairy thin. What do you want? I said. I listened, words brushed soft as spiders touched touch against my ear.
I'm cold. Fragments. You seldom get more than fragments. The little voice was a whisper uttered at great distance, but it was also uncomfortably close at hand. It seemed an awful lot closer to me than Lockwood's reply had been. Oh, Lockwood, I cooed again. It's urgent. Can you believe it? I could detect a hint of annoyance in his answer. Just wait a sec, Lucy. There's something really interesting here. I've picked up a death glow, a really, really faint one. Something nasty happened in this front bedroom, too. It's so hazy I almost missed it, so it must have been a long while back. But you know, I think it was traumatic, which means it's only a theory. I'm just playing with ideas here. There might possibly have been two violent deaths in this house. What do you say to that? I chuckled hollowly. I say that it's a theory I can maybe help you with, I sang, if you'll only come out here. The thing is, he went on, I don't see how the first deaths got anything to do with the hopes. They were only here two years, weren't they? So perhaps the disturbances we're experiencing are actually caused by the husband? I cried. Yes, well done. They're not. A brief pause. Finally, he was paying attention. What? I said it's not the husband, Lockwood. Now get out here! You might notice I'd slightly abandoned my attempts at keeping it lighthearted. That was because the thing in the study hall had already picked up on my agitation and was now drifting through the door. The toenails on the thin, pale feet were long and curled. Both my hands were at my belt. One gripped the rapier hilt, the other closed on a canister of Greek fire. You shouldn't really use magnesium flares in a domestic environment, of course. But I wasn't taking chances. My fingertips were icy, but sweaty too. They slipped against the metal. A movement on my left. From the corner of my eye, I saw Lockwood emerge onto the landing. He, too, stopped dead. Ah, he said. I nodded grimly. Yes, and next, the next time I call you, while an operative... In, while in an operative situation, do me a favor and get your butt out here, double quick. Sorry, but I see you've got it well in hand. Has she spoken? Yes. What did she say? She says she's cold. Tell her we can fix that for her. No, don't fiddle faddle with your map. Don't fiddle faddle with your weapon. It'll that'll only make it worse. The girl had drif drifted a little closer. Across the landing. In response, I'd begun to drown my blade. Tell her we can fix it, Lockwood said again. Tell her we can find whatever she's lost. I did so, in, in as steady a voice as I could manage. It didn't have much effect. The shape ne neither shrank nor changed, nor became vaporous, nor departed, nor did any of the other things the Fitz manual claims they'll do when you give them the hope of release. I'm cold. The little voice said, and then again, much louder, lost and cold. What was that? Lockwood had sensed the contact, but he couldn't hear the sound. Same words, but I've, I've got to tell you, Lockwood, this time it wasn't much like a girl talking. It sounded really deep and hollow and echoed like a tomb. That's never good, is it? No, I think we should take it as a sign, I drew my rapier. Lockwood did likewise. We stood facing the shape in silence. Never attack first. 
always wait, draw out its intentions, watch what it does, where it goes, learn its patterns of behavior. It was so close now that I could make out the texture of the long, fair hair sweeping down around the neck, see individual moles and blemishes on the skin. It always surprised me that the visual echo could be this strong. George called it the will to exist, the refusal to lose what once had been. Of course, not all of them appear this way. It all depended on their personality in life, and what precisely happened when that life came to an end. We waited. Can you see her face? I asked. Lockwood's sight is better than mine. No, it's veiled, but the rest is really bright. I think it's... He stopped. I'd lift... I've lifted my... up my hand. This time the voice I heard was the barest tremor in the air. I'm cold. Lost, it whispered. Lost and cold. Lost and cold. And dead! The wisps of light that hung above about the girls flared bright and desolate. And for an instant, the dark veil was lifted from the face. I screamed. The light went out. Shadows swept towards me. Bony stared. Bony arms outstretched. Icy air drove into me, forcing me toward the stairs. I stumbled on, on the lip and toppled backwards over the edge. Dropping my rapier, I threw out my a disparate arm, grabbed the cor corner of the wall, I hung above the void, buffeted by the raging wind, fingertips slipping on the smooth, cold wallpaper. The shape drew close. I was about to fall. Then Lockwood sprang between us, his blade cutting a complex pattern in the air. The shadow reared up, arms raised across its face. Lockwood cut another pattern, hemming it on, to, hemming it on several sides with walls of flashing iron. The shape shrank back. It darted away into the study with Lockwood in pursuit. The landing was empty. The wind had died. I scrabbled at the wall, pulled myself upright at the top of the stairs, and sank up to my knees. My hair was over my eyes. One foot dangled over the topmost step. Slowly, grimly, I reached out for my rapier. There was a dull ache in my shoulder where I jarred my arm. Lockwood was back. He bent close to me, his calm eyes scanning the darkness of the landing. Did she touch you? No. Where did she go? I'll show you. He helped me up. You're sure you're all right, Lucy? Of course. I brushed my hair away, forcing the rapier viciously back into its belt loop. My shoulder twinged a bit, but it was okay. So, I said, starting toward the study, let's get on with it. In a sec, he held out a hand, stalling my movement forward. You need to relax. I'm fine. You're angry. There's no need to be. That assault would have caught anyone out. I was surprised, too. You didn't drop your rapier. I pushed his hand away. Listen, we're wasting time. When she comes back, she wasn't directing it at me. It was all you, trying to pitch you over the stairs. I guess we know how Mr. Hope came to his tumble now. My point is, you need to calm down, Lucy. She'll feed off your anger super fast and grow strong. Yeah, I know. I didn't say it gracefully. I closed my eyes, took a deep breath, and then another, concentrating on doing what the manual recommends, mastering myself. 
loosening the hold of my emotions. After a few moments, I regained control. I withdrew my, from my anger and let it drop to the floor like a discarded skin. I listened again. The house was very silent, but it was the silence of a snowfall, heavy and oppressive. I could feel it watching me. When I opened my eyes, Lockwood was standing with his hands in his overcoat pockets, waiting quietly in the blackness of the landing. His rapier was back at his belt. Well, he said, I'm feeling better. Anger gone? Not a trace left. Okay, because you don't feel steady, we're heading home right now. We're not heading home, I said coolly, and I'll tell you why. Mrs. Hope's daughter won't let us in here again. She thinks we're too young. If we haven't cracked the case by tomorrow, she'll take us off it and put Fitz or Rotwells on the job. We need the money, Lockwood. We finish this now. He didn't move. Most nights, he said, I'd agree with you. But the parameters have changed. It's not some poor old boy bothering his widow. It's almost certainly the ghost of a murder victim. And you know what they're like, so if your head's not in the right place, Luce. Calm and steady as I was, I found his condescension slightly irritating. Yeah, I said. But it's not really me that's the issue, is it? Lockwood frowned. Meaning what? Meaning the iron chains. He rolled his eyes. Oh, come on, that's hardly the... Those iron chains are standard equipment for every agent, Lockwood. They're essential for protection when you're up against a strong type 2. And you forgot to put them in. Only because George insisted on oiling them at your suggestion, if I remember. Oh, so it's a my fault now, is it? I cried. Most agents would sooner forget their pants than go out without their chains. But you somehow managed it. You were so keen on rushing out here. It's a wonder we brought anything at all. George even advised us not to go. He wanted to do more research on the house. But no, you overruled him. Yes, which is what I do on account of being the leader. Leader, It's my responsibility to make bad decisions. That's right, I suppose it is. We stood there, arms folded, glowering at each other across the darkened landing of a haunted house. Then, like the sun coming out, Lockwood's glare softened to a grin. So, he said, how's your anger management going, Luce? I snorted. I admit I'm annoyed, but now I'm annoyed with you. That's different. I'm not sure it is, but I do take your original point about the money. He clapped his gloved hands together briskly. All right, you win. George wouldn't approve, but I think we can risk it. I've driven her away for the moment, and that gives us breathing room. If we're quick, we can settle this in half an hour. I stooped and lifted up the duffel bags. Just lead me to the place. The place proved to be on the far side of the study, a blank stretch of wall set between two recessed stretches of the chaotic bookshelf. In the harsh light of our flashlights, we saw it was still covered with ancient bedroom wallpaper, a drab and faded drab and faded and peeling near the mo- near the molding puffy shapeless roses ran floor to ceiling in slanting lines in the middle of the space hung a colored map showing the geology of the british isles the base of the wall was concealed by thigh-high piles of geology mag- geology magazines one or two of which were weighed down by the dust by dusty geological hammers 
My keen investigative instinct told me that Mr. Hope might possibly have been a geologist by trade. I inspected the bookshelves on either side, saw how the wall protruded at that point. Old chimney breast, I said. So she went in there? She was fading before she reached the wall, but yes, I think so. Would make sense if the source was hidden in the chimney, wouldn't it? I nodded. Yes, it made sense. Natural cavity, big enough for anything at all. We began shifting the magazines away, carting them in ca cascading armfuls to this other side of the room. Space was an issue. Lockwood wanted to keep my original circle free and have a good access route to it from the wall where we'd been working. So we dumped most of the magazines by the door and even out onto the landing. Every second armload or so, I stopped and listened carefully, but the house remained still. When we'd clear... When we'd cleared a big enough area, I opened the bags and poured out another plastic pot of filings in a curving line across the floor. It formed a rough semicircle that extended outward from the crucial section of the wall. I joined up the two ends with a straight line running, across, running along the base of the wall, keeping a yard or so back from it so the iron wouldn't be messed up by all the falling plaster. Once I'd finished, there was enough room inside inside the lines for us both to stand and have our diffled bags, too. It would be pretty safe, though not as secure if we'd used some chains. I also checked the original circle in the center of the room. A few filings had gone scattered by our feet as we tramped past, but I brushed them back into position. Lockwood removed the geological map and propped it by the desk. Then he went down to the kitchen and returned with a couple of lanterns. The time was watching in the dark that was best. Action was required now, and for that we needed proper light. He set the lanterns on the floor inside our semicircle and switched them on at low intensity, directing the beams toward the empty hall toward the empty wall. The light illuminated like a little stage. All this took about a quarter of an hour. At least we stood together inside the iron pocket knives and crowbars, ready. Looking at the wall. Want to hear my theory? Lockwood said. Thrill me. She was killed in the house decades ago. So long back, she at last grew quiet. When Mr. Hope set up his study in this room, and that triggered her somehow. It stands to reason. It's... Uh, it stands to reason, therefore, that something of hers must be concealed here, something she cares about, that makes her linger, that makes her linger on clothes, maybe, or possessions, or a gift she promised another, or, or something else, I said. Yes. We stood and looked at the wall.